All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, friends from all around the world who are into cars and car stuff, not sure why you're here, but this is a brand new... <laughs> lit episode of V8 Radio, Kevin. Hey, a lit episode. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm, I'm down with the kids now. How about that? Yeah, well, I'm your host, Kevin Oste, joined as always by our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Hubal-Clark, who is lit. You're, are you lit? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm lit, baby. Let me tell you. <laughs> Woo-hoo! <laughs> Not sure what's in that stainless V8 mug you got there, but... Uh, oh, you don't need to know. Yeah, this time I won't ask. <laughs> right on. All right, so we're lit, uh, and we lit we lit it off. The candle's lit, and so everybody needs to buckle up their seatbelt because uh, here comes a, a full episode of of I'm not really sure what. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make it up as we go along. That's usually what happens. Yeah, uh, right and also what usually happens on this show. Right in the beginning, we like to throw out uh, an automotive trivia question, and uh, it's uh, it's a fun thing because we don't give the answer right away. No, no, no. No, no. The, the answer is, uh, is held like a carrot at the end of a stick <laughs> for the end of the show, enticing our listener to uh, hang with us the whole time. So have you prepared an automotive trivia question? I have prepared an automotive trivia question. And thank God that people can't hit the fast forward on their devices that they listen to the show on so they can't go straight <laughs> hey, to the hey, answer. Don't give them any ideas, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kev. If they got the kind um, of connection that I've got right now, it's going to do nothing but pause it anyway. So uh, no doubt, stay no off doubt. the fast forward, friends. Uh huh. All right, Kevin. We've all seen candy paints on cars. You know, it's pretty popular in the fifties, and even today, some cars have a have a candy paint job. But what is it about candy paint that makes it look the way it does? Uh huh. Uh huh. So what? Gives the candy effect the candy effect. Yes. That's a very good well question. Well put. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not the world's expert on candy paint, but I know that the goal, you know, kind of candy apple was the the first uh, uh, mm-hmm. use of the term because a candy apple back in the day was uh, an apple dipped in caramel or caramel as it's supposed to be pronounced. Mm-hmm. If you're from the Midwest, okay. you say caramel. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do. <laughs> There's another A in there, kids. Uh, a caramel apple was uh, dipped in a, uh, a melted sugary syrup, which then hardened to give a translucent red appearance where the, the caramel would show through just a little mm. bit, right? So it, it gave tasty. It is tasty. I, I want one now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so the the effect is seeing the color red um, and seeing something come through it. It gives it an insane amount of depth, and um, and of course gloss if it's done properly. <clears throat> so to mimic that concept, you need to have a couple elements. You need to have a base color, which uh, is mm. typically gold on a candy. Sometimes it's silver, um, and then you need a translucent color or a candy color, as they're called now. And you start to spray these in layers. Uh, and if you do one layer of, say, red over gold, um, that's starting to build your candy apple color. The trick of it is, and the reason why these things are so hard, is A, you got to paint the whole car in the base color. So you're spending time and money on the, on the gold or the silver. 
Mm-hmm. And then you got to add layers of the candy color. And those candies, the true ones, get darker with every pass. So mm. as you're painting a car, you got to spray the whole thing with the exact same amount of coats to get the color proper because it it's translucent so the more you add the darker the color gets it gets harder to see that base color through it uh so when you go and see a nice candy job uh what makes a good one is if it's consistent from front to back because if you're painting a solid color or a metallic like a blue or something you can paint Mm -hmm. the fender and then you know go paint the door in the back and if you get something in it or the metallic doesn't lay out the way you want you can just throw a couple more coats on it and it's the color remains consistent, but on a candy, if you go touch up a spot and add to it, you got to do the whole car again. Oh, brother! Because it all has to be the same amount of coats. Huh. So that's the the long way of uh, answering my guess at your question: is the effect comes through when you see the base color come through the translucent top coat and gives you that candy appearance. Okay, so to, to to paraphrase, you need a gold or silver base and a translucent color, and that's what gives you your candy effect. Right. Yeah, and you can do you can yeah, do a, in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. You, you can do a white, like a solid base color too. But it's really neat when you get a the, the gold or a silver because if it's metallic or pearl, that mm-hmm. metallic will come through the candy layer mm. and add more visual interest, and it'll dance with the light. And cool, you know, a green, a translucent green over a gold is really nice, or a, a blue over a silver, or you know, mm-hmm. whatnot. Cool. So there you go. All right. Duly noted, my friend. Duly noted. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? All right. Well, I got one for you. All right. Sock it to me. When did the first commercial drag strip open in the United States? Oh, and where was you it? Suck out loud. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, the first commercial drag strip. Well, all right. Let's let's think about this. Um, oh, let's diagram this. Um, Thinking cap is on. It is. See, auto racing became hugely popular right after they invented after the dash. World War. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let the peanut gallery hush. <laughs> so, as I was saying, um, auto racing became hugely popular uh, after World War II. Um, GIs were coming home and they were tinkering with their cars or you know, their Model A's and their Model T's and hot rodding them and you know they were, they wanted to race. So it became dangerous to race on the streets. So People wanted to do it. The police especially wanted them to do it off the road. So I'm going to say the first commercial drag strip opened in 1950, 48, 1948. And it was You got got two guesses there. uh, 1948 is my final guess. All right. All right. And it was in... Los Angeles, California. 1948 in Los Angeles, California. Duly noted. 
Uh, I thank you, sir. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, that all makes sense. That's you're right. You know, Southern California was the birth of hot rodding, and all the things you mm-hmm. said were truth. The uh, the GIs were coming home mm-hmm. with speed fever, and there was stuff to make stuff with, and all that. So, mm-hmm. okay, it may have nothing to do with the with the correct answer, but it was a hell of a guess. It was a hell of a guess. It was a very good guess. You know what I like about your guesses is they're often, I want to say well just, thought out. I'm not saying that they're accurate. Just way out there. Out, but they're, they're thought out, you know, and that's important uh-huh. in a trivia contest. <laughs> you, don't, well, you don't think about it. You know, probably 90% of the time when you ask me a question, I have just no idea. I'm like, ugh. 90% of the time? Wow. Okay, 99% of the time. I, th- I think I got one right, so I'm good there. You've got more than one right. Maybe All right, two. Maybe well, one I'll of our two. loyal listener can uh, uh, <laughs> tally up the uh, the scorecard for us, uh, go back and listen to some of the episodes and see what, what mm-hmm. was done here, because uh, I think you got far more than that. Yeah, we'll see. That's just me. We'll wait for the, the tail of the tape to come through. Yeah, right. All right, well, that's no <sighs> So uh, uh, what's happening in the uh, the automotive world of the queue these days? Well, Kevin, I'm glad you asked because there are things happening. Hey, how about that? My, yeah, the, the Q-Ball GTO engine project has just moved forward a little bit. Um, I've been waiting for a uh, ARP bolt kit um, for, for a little while. Uh, they were on yeah. back order. Yeah. And... Um, Thanks to the, um, we'll say, uh, how, how, how do I how do I word this? The uh, <laughs> insistence of one Kelly Oste, poof, out out of nowhere appears an ARP bolt kit for a Pontiac V8. Hey, right on. Yeah, so thank you Kelly and uh, thank you ARP for uh, for stepping up and making that happen it's uh, I can't wait to get it I know it's in the mail currently shipping to my house mm-hmm. and um, I'm excited to see it and um, I'm really happy that I was able to go with ARP as I really really wanted to as you know they are the best quality fasteners in the business and um, it makes me feel a lot more secure putting this engine together with those ARP bolts. So well, yeah, and, and there's a lot going on there. I mean, so first of all, mm-hmm. because there are a lot of people building cars these days, there are a lot of parts mm-hmm. that are on back order and mm-hmm. and in production runs and on hold and, <clears throat> you know, just because of the availability. And I right. think that's, that's what happened with your ARP bolt kit is that, yep. you know, the, the major suppliers um, haven't been getting them in, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're truly in a situation in many ways where they can't make certain things fast enough. And uh, I know I've talked to our friends at ARP in the past, you know, today, mm-hmm. some of their biggest selling part numbers are diesel bolt kits, you know, for diesel pickup trucks and, and the racers and whatnot. And, you know, they've, that whole industry and, and whole uh, uh, sport has exploded quite a bit. So they're, they're doing everything they can to get those things yeah. out. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of the suppliers were running on, on in-house stock for some of the other kits. And as mm-hmm. you know, you know, you hold Pontiac in high regard, but it's not the number one popular part number I'm imagining right. for, for any speed part. So mm-hmm. I think some of those supplies got depleted and, uh, uh, Kelly contacted our friends at ARP and they said, do you guys happen to have any of these things there? You know, cause normally we go through 
any number of, of distributors. And it turns out they mm-hmm. were able to scrape one up and, uh, and help get it out. So we, yes, we really appreciate them. They're, they're always super helpful. And your, your other point being the, uh, uh, the quality of the fastener. I mean, that, that's the reason why everybody wants them. You know, it's like yep. uh, Yogi Berra saying, you know, nobody eats at that restaurant. It's too crowded. It's too crowded. <laughs> <You know? laughs> exactly. So now people are waiting because they're so popular. You know, nobody's got mm-hmm. them because they're popular. Um, yeah, there, there, you know, there, there were other options available to me uh, to uh, supply me with the bolts, but I, I didn't want to go with them mainly because I, I was unsure of the source of these bolts mm-hmm. and, um, and, and unsure of the quality. So I, I really told myself when I started this odyssey that this engine built has become that I wanted to use top shelf, you know, a quality parts, putting this together. Cause I, I, I don't want to go through this again. Right. And, and I want it all done right the first time. And, and ARP was, was high on my list from the get go. Mm-hmm to to get this together so thank you again arp <laughs> yeah well and that's a good decision to go because you're doing you know you're using high quality parts everywhere um correct and, and it's always interesting to me because I, I bump into people who say yeah you guys you know you, you you spend all that money on parts and and you really need all that and and the fasteners often come into play because we've all rebuilt engines and reused the, the original fasteners you know, where applicable. So like on a, on a big block Buick or something, you can take the, uh, the main stud or the main cap bolts and reuse them if you want, because it's not a fastener that was intended to be a, uh, a single use fastener. A lot of modern cars have single use fasteners to where you're only supposed to use them one time. Um, and they might be called a, a torque to yield fastener where, uh, once you put the proper torque and stretch on that fastener and you relieve it and take it out, uh, it's, it's already past its life cycle. So like on an LS engine, for example, using the stock bolts, you're not supposed to reuse those. But again, like on a, on an old Buick or a small block Chevy, or even your Pontiac, those original bolts, you know, could be used again. Uh, and a lot of people make the argument, I've been using, you know, or stock bolts, rod bolts, head bolts, you know, and all this stuff forever. And you're crazy for spending extra money on it. But the difference is there is measurable science behind this stuff. And when you look at the, uh, uh, the load that is put on, uh, a swinging crankshaft with the, you know, rod cap and, and the mass of the piston and the connecting rod spinning at a certain RPM, uh, those forces come into play and eventually couple that with the number of, uh, heat cycles this thing gets and the RPM you're going to spin it at and the mass of those parts, right. um, eventually they will fatigue and fail. Uh, so to the guy who's rebuilding using stock original stuff, yeah, you can do it. Is it going to last forever? No, no. And I, you know, I planned on, on stroke. Uh, you know, I, I did, I, I got a stroker crank for this and, you know, I'm probably gonna, have a little spirited driving with this uh, car every you know once in a while. Well, that's why and, you did uh, it, you know. Of course, <laughs> ex- exactly. And and I want to know that everything is going to hold together. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was definitely huge, huge on my list. And it's it's kind of cool because um, you know if you're going to build an engine, you can call ARP and say, okay, well, I've got these pistons and these rods and this stroke, and I want this RPM range as a, or mm-hmm. this red line. And they'll do the math and they'll tell you which one of their bolts is going to be the most 
ideal for your situation because they have different uh, uh, materials are made out of. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you might not need the same stuff that John Force needs in his top fuel car, (laughs) but you need something (laughs) more than, you know, what might be a stock replacement bolt. Um, right for longevity and strength, you know, mm-hmm. and, and proper stretch. That's another thing. A lot of people don't understand bolt stretch, and mm-hmm. you know, we try to tell everybody that a bolt is a spring, mm-hmm. you know, and and you gotta you gotta stretch that spring so that it is trying to compress everything into place and and hold right. it in place while it gets spun and and uh, and then heat cycled and fatigued and all that stuff. So once you start to think of things that way, you go. Yeah, I'm going to be stretching this thing. And that original bolt has already been stretched and stuck in that position for far too long. So, no, you know what? I'm spending a lot of money on this. I don't want to do it again. Let's just, let's get this done. So, you're right. Yeah, so... Yeah, so things are things are happening. All right, so um, this, is, this is exciting. It is exciting. So the, the, the bolts are in the mail. What's the, uh, the first, the, the next step, I should say, in, in starting to put this thing back together? Well, the uh, I need to get the short block together, and that entails the the cam and lifters and the gaskets, and then I can, and, and I have a timing set, and so I can put the timing cover on and the water pump, and and then and the, and the oil pan and the oil pump, and I got all that done, and then the heads need to be machined and put together, and. Um, Everything needs to just go together and just need some uh, engine mounts and uh, uh, engine harness. And that's kind of it. So there's there's light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, yeah, how about that? You just, you just yeah. visualized the final product right there, and that's what it takes to get there. Yeah, and getting those parts, I, I got to say I'm kind of blown away at the, the generosity that you guys have shown me. Um, and that you're helping me out to get this this uh, the valve train for me, the cam and the lifters and the and the springs and the and the the caps and the locks and and all this and, and the gaskets. Well, I mean, and all this stuff. At the end of the day, that that's what we do. You know, we're dealers for all these companies, mm-hmm. and and right. so we we can in a lot of ways step to the front of the line. So we have a great relationship with all the companies that you're working with as far as you know mm-hmm. comp cams and, and arp and anybody right. else you want so for us and, and honestly that's something that we kind of extend to all of our customers uh that mm-hmm. we build cars for at the shop it's like you could go you could buy something online today no problem and if it's in stock it'll ship and whatever and a lot of the the retailers have tech support or or whatnot um mm-hmm. or you could call the manufacturer and and you know get help that way uh, but a lot of times we have relationships with individuals at those companies, again, that might get us th- past the phone tree, if you will. Um, right. Because these are people we talk to all the time and hang out with. And, you know, you can look on, jump on YouTube and type in uh, VATV and ARP and you'll see, I don't even know how many interviews and conversations we've had with these guys, oh, yeah. shop tours and everything else. So. We like to share our relationships with customers and, and people like you that, you know, need a hand with this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And that just helps the whole world go around. So, yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. Amen. Thank you again. Yeah, I, I remember talking to uh, uh, one, of the, one of the guys, I, and, and I apologize, the name is escaping me, but one of the gentlemen from ARP that uh, I interviewed at the SEMA show. Yep. I think uh, that was Chris Rashke. 
Yes, that's exactly who it was. Chris Rashke. Yes, thank you. Yeah, cool guy. Yeah, real yeah. cool guy. Yeah, he yeah. And, and he he personally helped out on your project. So, thank you. All right, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> the thank you card is in the mail, sir. Yeah, that's right. It's just a big network of friends. Yeah, that's what it really all boils down to. It, it it really does. I mean, you build relationships with these people, and and that's what that's what a business is. It's people. It's not a piece of paper. Well, yeah, and I think what also needs to be pointed out here is that, uh, you know, by day when when Mike Hubal Clark takes off his V8 radio cape and uh, he's (laughs) not the industry guy at the moment, um, Mm -hmm. he's an industry guy in an industry that provides tech support in office electronics and situations Mm -hmm. where, you know, people have to have uh, a hand every once in a while like us and we take advantage of your skill set quite often sure. so you help us all the time with things that make me want to pull my hair out like <laughs> i can't get this to print or mm-hmm. you know i have an it question about networking or I, we just got some piece of equipment and it's not working and you're always there to help us out so we appreciate that well thank you i'm, I'm it's my pleasure really i'm happy to do it so good it makes me makes me all warm and fuzzy to be able to help people it's what i it's what i live for well, you're good at it. You're very helpful. So thank you. Well, so thank you. My pleasure. Happy to help. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> Kumbaya, man. <laughs> Kumbaya, baby. <laughs> Who would have thought it was going to go there today, friends? And if you listen, wherever you are in the world listening to this, just take your take your right hand and put it on your left shoulder and your left hand and put it on your right shoulder and just give yourself a big squeeze from us. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's perfect. Extending some V8 radio hugs all Mm. around the world. Oh, well, I'll tell you, I'm feeling joyful. I'm feeling joyful right now. I love it. Yeah, right on. Well, that's good. I'm glad that, uh, you know, your project is going to progress a little bit finally. Oh, me too. uh, Looking forward to, uh, you know, Power Tour 2020. Mm, 25th anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) that's right whole nother story well we've been um very fortunate to be very busy as usual in the shop uh for us which is great Mm -hmm. uh our painter jeff has been uh uh, spraying color on all kinds of different stuff and uh it's Mm -hmm. kind of fun i was talking to a guy yesterday as a matter of fact who contacted us about a 69 camaro project which We've done many of, and we do them because we love them. They're great cars, and we know them very well, and we've done stock restorations all the way up to, you know, pro touring cars and and oh, sure. things that have high horsepower and go fast. And it was interesting because this guy says, hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing this car in uh, Le Mans Blue or maybe Azure mm. Turquoise, which is another great color. And I was just able yeah. to start firing off pictures to him of cars that we had painted in that family of blue right so there's a Mm -hmm. 67 gto that you're aware of that is just about finished that's in um oh oh yeah it's blue Mm -hmm. uh the 66 chevelle we did last year for our friend larry that's a custom mix of turquoise and and blue and kind of greenish uh, and then mm-hmm. there's the the ZR9 Camaro that was done in the Jetstream blue, and and any number of other you know cars that we have painted that Jeff has painted in blue, and and uh, it, it got me kind of thinking about the process, you know. And as you pointed out, today's trivia question was what about uh, you know candy colors and that process. 
And mm-hmm. I did a little recon uh, off the air that I recorded that I will share um, about what happens after the paint job, right? So after the car's painted and you get it home and you're driving it around, everything's great, and you get a chip on the thing. And mm. What do you do, you know? And I Cry. know, like, like in our <laughs> world, yeah, sure, you, you know, you bring it back, you strip the fender and, and repaint the whole thing and, and go down the road. Well, that, that's, if it's an insurance job, you know, great. <laughs> but if it's just, you know, general maintenance and touch-ups, you know, sometimes you're kind of stuck. Um, and a friend of mine referred me to a gentleman named Paul Fernandez, who's with a company called Automotive Touch-Up. And they do a, uh, a full line of some pretty innovative uh, touch-up paint tools and paints and products. Uh, so I thought it might be kind of fun to do a quick interview with him to learn a little bit more about the world of paint repair that we normally don't deal with because we're doing, again, whole panels and not just little touch-ups. So we'll just go ahead and roll that. Okay, well, joining me now is our special guest, Mr. Paul Fernandez, uh, who's joining us as the general manager of Automotive Touchup and AutomotiveTouchup.com. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, so the first question uh, that I have for you, uh, here in our facility at the V8 Speed and Resto Shop, we maintain a full-service body and paint facility for restoration and custom cars, and the, the paint world is very close to me. So um, it was intriguing to learn a little bit about what Automotive Touch-Up does. Maybe you can give us the, uh, the short version of the story. Um, well, I guess the short version is uh, 17 years ago, uh, we kind of got started here in New Orleans, and uh, it was basically uh, kind of local supply. And I mean, the founder of our company, uh, Jeremy Thurnow, he he was uh, he had a background in uh, automotive paint, and he basically uh, he realized that you know his only real niche that he could get into was kind of specializing in local touch-up products and things like that, and. It kind of gradually grew from there into a website, and so we've been going about 17 years now. It's uh, you know, we've grown and grown year by year, and uh, now we're uh, where we're at. Right on. Yeah, I was going to say, people just don't wake up one day and say, "Hey, I want to make automotive touch-up paint for a living." No, it so. doesn't happen that way for sure. <laughs> no, no. Well, it's a it's a really um, interesting concept because we've all seen. Uh, the local auto parts store that has the little brush dab dipper of colors and of course, and yeah. m- most of those are, are very general. But you guys make uh, uh, color touch-up products that are very, very specific. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the downside to the, the ones you see in retail uh, outlets like, you know, O'Reilly's or anywhere else or uh, AutoZone or I mean, you know, they're they're really only kind of boiling it down to maybe the five or six most popular manufacturers and maybe the most, you know, popular colors. And sometimes it's only three, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's ten. It depends, you know, if it's GMC or Toyota or what. Um, in our case, we just, we don't deny any color. I mean, if you need it for an RV, you're going to get it because we'll have that color. And if you need it for a, a 39 Mercury, I mean, a guy yesterday needed it for a 39 Mercury. We had his color. So hopefully he's happy when he gets it, you know? Yeah. And, right. uh, but anything you need, we're going to have. Well, that raises an interesting point. First of all, it's amazing that your depth of color knowledge is as deep as it is. Um, but I think 
there's a little bit of education on the consumer side that a car built in 1939, if it still has original paint on it, it doesn't yeah. look like it did when it was new. It's sun faded and worn and everything else. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and um, I imagine he's probably repainted it several times, obviously. I, I would hope so, yeah. Yeah, I would hope so, too. <laughs> what I also thought was innovative, though, is the methods you guys have for application and the associated support products. Well, I mean, we want to offer as many types of application as possible because obviously there's, you know, so many different types of damage and repairs that need to be done. And, uh, you know, you really need to not just have base coats and, you know, tri coats, but have primers and clear coats and everything else that goes along with it. But really aerosol paint, um, ours are extremely high quality. We, we use extremely high quality paints. We don't skimp, uh, you know, Basically, uh, we try to make these as high quality as possible, as close to what you would get out of a spray gun as we can get to. And and on top of that, of course, we'll also uh, we sell uh, ready to spray colors so that if anyone, you know, actually has the equipment, the experience or just is willing to give it a try, they can go ahead and uh, buy paint for their spray gun. Yeah, well, that's cool. And I'm guessing now, so a typical customer might be somebody who has a fairly late model car that got a scratch or a chip or something. And yeah. um, they go to the website and there are some educational materials to help them figure out which type of application method they want. Absolutely. And uh, a big thing for us is is that we try to make it easy and uh, easy navigation and like one of the things we like is like people can't find their color code is a common thing is they mm. just don't know where to find it. So we'll have pages on our website that specifically for every model and every year and everything else where it will tell you on an Audi from like 2004 to 2012. Okay. This is like, there's only three locations where color codes were listed. And on those pages, we'll have pictures of what the actual tag looks like. Oh, right on highlighting what the code is so that they can find it as easy as possible just so they don't make any mistakes order the wrong color you know sure we try to, we, yeah we try to make sure that we give them every resource possible to find what they need and as far as other resources you know we have a youtube page we have uh videos on our site that basically we try to like give people at the very least uh just specific techniques that would make their job go a little smoother, like how to uh, how to back tape, how to create, you know, don't create a hard tape line, how to how to spray something, how how to mask off areas, things like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, these are all um, time honored techniques to learn those. And if you can show people how to do it quickly, that's that's huge. Absolutely. And I guess, you know, my initial thoughts were. Uh, like I said before, touch up scratches and smaller stuff. But you're telling me that you're giving consumers an opportunity to maybe repair some larger areas too with the aerosols. Oh, absolutely. I mean, our real goal is to give people a cost-effective alternative for cosmetic repairs. So if we can keep you from going to a body shop, then good. We did our job. You know, mm -hmm. we gave you we gave you the opportunity to save hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands of dollars. It depends on the situation. I mean, uh, you know, every situation's different, but yeah, we see ourselves as an alternative to help help people save money. And with what we have, our products, our resources, and uh, the support we're willing to offer people, that we're confident that most people can handle it. Anything other than major damage. I mean, obviously, major damage or anything, you know, like 
after a wreck or anything like that. Maybe they won't feel comfortable, and I understand that. Take it to a body shop, by all means. But uh, if it's small or, you know, and, I mean, it, it really depends. But uh, scratch repair, spot repair, even whole panel repair. Uh, I think a lot of anyone who has a little bit of a, a, a DIY kind of, you know, background or even just a wherewithal to go ahead and give it a shot, uh, they can do it. Yeah. Well, I think that's great. And, you know, touching on the cost concept, again, I know firsthand how insanely ridiculous expensive paint is. Yeah. Um, when you go to a body shop and even in our shop, we're talking about clears that are, you know, four or $500 a gallon. Uh, we once shot a, a 69 Firebird in a, in a red color that was uh, $1,600 a gallon oh. just for the color. You know, oh, it's crazy. Know. <laughs> so where does your, um, your paint fall in, uh, you know, on a retail level? What, what, kind, what can somebody expect to pay for a paint pen or an aerosol can? Our aerosol cans are flat rate $19.99. It doesn't matter what the color is. Mm, okay. It, our clear coats, uh, we may have just lowered the price recently, but um, everything we have is basically on clear coat primer, everything under $10.00. Um, touch up products, pens, we generally charge a uh, twelve ninety five. clear coats, uh, and primers. Those are under $7. Um, two ounce bottles, fourteen ninety five. two ounce bottles. We suggest for people basically that only have a few, like, uh, maybe rock chips, things like that. They're not really intended to, I mean, obviously no one should take a brush and bottle cap and paint a big square. Okay. Yeah, try to repaint the car with it. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's gonna it's gonna look bad. It's 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 meant for very small repairs. Mm. Um, but it's good to keep on hand for later, which is why a lot of people do buy the uh, larger bottles. Yeah, but um, we try to offer people as many, you know, just as many options as possible. And if they don't know what they need, they can always call or you know email us, and we'll we'll try to help them the best we can. Well, it definitely sounds economical, and it, it sounds like a price point where it won't scare people off. Where um, does the paint products fall in on a quality standpoint if you're able to do them at a uh, lesser price standpoint? We Basically, we do everything in the highest quality line that uh, with the manufacturer that we use. And if we don't do it in the highest quality line, it's only because there wasn't a formula available. There's no excuse to us to not give people the best product possible. Sure. So the uh, that, that's all very good to know, by the way. And I think the the understanding of the paint industry, the auto refinish industry, is that yeah, there's only a handful of manufacturers that actually make the stuff. Sure. And then there are different quality lines within yes. those paint manufacturers. So you know, the top shelf, a medium, and a, and a lesser line. And sometimes the difference between those might not actually be the, the quality of material, but the number of formulas available. Um, I once talked with a paint manufacturer who clued me in on the, the zillions of dollars a year they have to spend to engineer formulas to match the factory colors. And, and that's where a lot of the money goes, is the, they call them the lab coat people that, that create the colors. Sure. Um, and it's a weird thought, you know, because you would think if, if manufacturer acts, you know, Ford has a, a you know, a blue this year that they would just right. make that formula available, but they don't. Yeah. I would say another thing with manufacturers is that 
let's say uh, you said manufacturer X. Let's just call it X. And maybe they'll have uh, four or five paint lines. One of them will be a waterborne. And then they'll have uh, three that are basically uh, base coat, clear coat, standard kind of lines. But, you know, they'll have one that's obviously the top shelf line. Mm -hmm. They'll have one that's extremely on the low end cheap. And then they'll have one in the middle there that's not so bad. But what generally I find is that the top shelf line is just going to offer the greatest match. And I'm not even talking about durability or anything else. Yes, they could all be very similar in that regard. But as you go down the list, you get a worse and worse match. Period. Right, right, right. And the other thing, too, um, a lot of the durability and longevity of your paint system is going to be the clear. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I'm assuming um, you guys are using a, a good clear. Is there any sort of uh, additional protection, UV or anything like that, blended into this stuff? Uh, some of it, yeah. And uh, most of our, our aerosol clear and our uh, touch-up clear and everything, we uh, we make ourselves. Oh, okay. So it's an in-house product right now. Yes, sir. Now, um, much of today's paint is... Uh, uh, a multi-part and you mentioned that this stuff is ready to spray so that means are we talking about things that are not catalyzed or take me through that yeah so when i say ready to spray uh, on our pints and quartz and stuff they are uh they're basically a, a urethane kind of acrylic hybrid okay so okay. they're a urethane that's uh basically de been designed with our own uh specific stabilizers that will work with uh, either a urethane clear or urethane primer or acrylic clears and acrylic primers with no real discernible difference other than obviously the urethane products will uh, have a little bit better shine usually and they'll be a little more durable. Okay. And then are we talking about a shelf life then for that can? Uh, shelf life for that can? Generally, uh, no. There's no... Uh, there's no regular hardener or catalyst added to it so that can could last uh if i had to guess i mean and i i'm just Who gonna knows, throw it yeah. out there yeah it could last years and years sure so in this case then we're looking at a um an air dry type yes. drying system yeah. now you mentioned before that uh you know of course waterborne paints are popular today but i'm guessing yours are going to be solvent based yeah, everything we do with right now is solvent-based. Uh, waterborne, we haven't quite uh, cracked the uh, waterborne aerosol just yet. Uh, mm, we're working. Mm. Yeah, we've been working on that one. Uh, we're getting closer and closer, but that's uh, that one's a little tougher. So, Well, my thought would be, and again, I'm not in the industry, but the waterborne industry um, largely grew out of uh, emissions and, and being more environmentally friendly than spraying solvents yeah. around. And the quantities that you're talking about generally, I guess, are going to be small enough to where it would have a minimal environmental impact having a solvent-based yeah. paint pen. You're absolutely right. Other than our aerosol product, we don't even see it as a like a very uh, you know a big issue. But uh, it's a goal that we have, and we'd like to get there at some point, at least as you know, to be able to offer it. But uh, nope, not there yet. Yeah. Well, interestingly, there there are those who say that certain manufacturers anyway of waterborne paints the waterborne actually covers better and looks more vivid um i've done a few side by sides and uh i'll say the jury's still out on that but uh it's it's tough but um, yeah so a couple other uses that that i think um i'm sure you guys are aware of but what i thought was kind of cool is um we're in the process of restoring a 1967 pontiac gto mm -hmm. 
and it's blue and we went on your website we got the color code we got some samples uh, Pontiac WA3680 which is a uh, kind of a medium blue and we've already painted this car and fortunately we don't need any touch-up work but what we did is we um, we're providing the customer with a scale model of his car mm-hmm. and we're going to use your paint to spray the scale model which I think we've, is kind of cool yeah we've had uh, plenty of customers who do the same thing yeah interesting um, and then of course if there are smaller accessories or if you want to add details to a car that match the outside body so maybe you want to tune up the look of the dashboard or a console or something or spray a wheel um, this is a great opportunity to do it without having to buy the the high-end expensive you know auto paint supplier paint so i thought that was pretty cool definitely we also um, used some of the touch-up pen products uh, that you guys offer on a, uh, another car, a 62 Ford, that was painted in 1997 in a Porsche um, Guards Red. And your paint, this car's got chips all over it. Uh, it's been driven across country a million times. Um, but your color match was dead on. It was very, yeah. very impressive. No, no, I know that one. LAD4A, yeah, popular. Yeah. Yeah. At least it was, yeah. Well, and the other neat thing is some of the additional products you guys have. So the sandpapers and the compounds, you know, to really complete the job. Maybe tell me a little oh, about that. Yeah. So we'll offer any related product that, you know, really needs to be in there. So sandpapers of every uh, grit. And we'll offer assorted sandpaper packs as well. Sanding blocks. Uh, we actually have our own line of spray guns. And just in case somebody wants to give one a try. And they're uh, fairly inexpensive. We don't uh, – we got a meta, We have a meta price point that's very, uh, very good for someone who hasn't tried one before. Of course, anyone listening, you know, needs to know they still need an air compressor. But mm-hmm. – uh, and uh, as far as, uh, you know, other things, tack cloths, uh, hand glaze, which is a, a kind of a, you know, an odd item, but some people uh, do use them, prep solvents, prep wipes, um, and uh, especially a lot of safety equipment. We offer gloves, dust masks, uh, NIOSH-approved respirators, safety glasses, basically any PPE that, you know, you could think of that would be good to use. Yeah, very cool. Well, I also noticed that... Um Again, my focus being kind of a muscle car classic shop, it was more about the paint products, but you do uh, a little bit of um, bumper and flexible parts too, or? Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Well, so what I'm going to tell our listeners um, is that this is a, a really neat way. If you just go to automotivetouchup.com, there's a, uh, a selector. You pick the year to make the model. And I know, again, from experience that, most people that have cars from the 60s, 50s, you know, early 70s, when they see a year make model selector for a paint product, they're thinking that it's only going to go back a couple of years, you know, or be current. But uh, your year drop down, you know, it goes off the bottom of my screen. I think it goes down to what 1935 or something. Uh, and- yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly, but I know it's pre 1940. Yeah, way yeah. back there, and yeah. and um, you have. Uh, almost all the the uh, you know very popular muscle car colors. So if you have a Hugger Orange '69 Camaro and you know you need uh, uh, some touch-up paint, this is a great place to do it without getting in yeah. a giant it, investment. It gets ordered a lot. Uh, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so again, I guess AutomotiveTouchUp.com is the best way to order. 
Uh, yeah, if anyone wants to uh, get with us, they can just go to automotivetouchup.com. If they have any questions before they order or they need help with their project, any advice, anything else, uh, they can go ahead and call us at 1-888-710-5192. Or they can use the contact forms on our website and uh, just send us an email and we'll get back to them uh, with any concerns they might have. Right on. Well, I think uh, it's very cool that you guys offer so much help. It's actually fun just to kind of watch the videos. And, you know, the great thing about paint work is that it's very gratifying. You can see the difference, you know, the before and after. So it's fun to watch that stuff, too. So, but uh, I think, Paul, uh, I appreciate the time today. And uh, we're certainly going to be using more of this. In fact, we, we've now landed on this to be a night because there is uh, essentially no shelf life. Um, including uh, a paint touch-up pen and maybe a brush is going to be a nice benefit that we're going to do to our restoration customers. We're just going to send them home with some. You know, yeah. if, God forbid everything anything happens, they'll have it. And in terms of shelf life, worst thing that can happen to a, uh, a half-ounce bottle of clear coat or a base coat or anything else is they can always add a few drops of acetone to it uh, if it starts to dry out a little over the years. Just make sure they uh, close it tight. There you go. Nice little tech tip on keeping that stuff alive. All right, Paul. Well, listen, this has been fun. It's been educational. I really appreciate it. Great stuff. Um, like I said, we're, we use it. We're going to keep going. And uh, uh, thank you for the time today. I appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you. All right. So I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, Paul obviously lives this day in and day out and, and has a, a wealth of knowledge on the topic. But it's a whole nother insight on what you can do once you get that car home and, and God forbid you get a chip on it. You know, they, they do a whole right. bunch of different things to help you out. Yeah. It's huge that they, they have a really good exact match to your factory color and they have such a wide variety of colors to choose from. I mean, I, I looked, uh, I think I've heard of automotive touch up and they, they have paint for my daily driver for Pete's sake. Oh, sure. Which is yeah, great. yeah. Right. Yeah. And again, that's, that's the way I always filter things is I, I look at companies that do stuff for our enthusiast and high rod muscle cars, mm. but yeah, their, their bread and butter is obviously going to be touch up paint for whatever you're driving new and whatever they do all that too. I don't want to discount that, but, but that is pretty cool to be able to, uh, manage something like that in your home garage without freaking out, you know, and, and totally having to go have the whole thing resprayed just because of some rock chips. Cause at the end of the day, we want to use these cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I, w- I want to drive the wheels off it when this thing is back on the road. Right. And I referenced in that interview that the, the red that they had uh, created for uh, what's actually on my 62 Galaxy is a dead nuts match. It was perfect. It's that Porsche Guards red. It's exactly yeah. right. So That's right on, man. That's awesome. Just kind of putting yeah, that it, paint job off as long as I can. Because <laughs> my car's road-rashed. Just keep touching it up, and it'll be all touch-up paint. It'll look great. Yeah, eventually it'll all just transform from the, the uh-huh. spray version to the uh, the brush. Well, but you know, again, they do have the the aerosols and stuff too. That um, that's cool. So, uh, so you mentioned your GTO, which uh, is the brother of the Le Mans, which brings me mm-hmm. to that uh, little <laughs> press release that you forwarded me about the twenty four hours of Le Mans race. Right, man, uh, or or lemons, depending on how you want to look That's at right. it. Uh, um, a, a, yeah, a good friend of mine, uh, when he lived in Atlanta, uh, started uh, participating in uh, lemons races um, with a, I think, an eighty-eight Buick uh, 
uh, LeSabre. And uh, he recently moved back up here, and he wanted to get back in it again. And he asked me if I wanted to be his crew chief. And I was like, why not? Let's do it. That is cool. So, so have you done it, the Lemons race before? Never. I never have. So you've done the other race and the road racing at Road America we talked about before. Correct, yeah. Previous episode, yeah. which was, a, which was a, a real crew chief. Uh, uh-huh. And not to say that the lemons race is not real. I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, you know, tell tell our listener the uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, requirements that the the lemons car needs to fit into. I, I think the lemons car has to be less than five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you have, you do have to have some safety equipment in there. You have to have a, a real racing seat and, re- and wear real racing gear. But if you win, <laughs> if you win your race. You win four hundred dollars in nickels. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's phenomenal. Yeah. So I mean, you could go to Chuck E. Cheese and really have a great time afterwards. I have a great time, and you, you. Some people will will have their cars all themed out into something. Another friend of mine, who lives up in the Chicago area, he participated in in, in this racing, and he had a Volvo like seven fifty wagon that they decked out to look like the Ectomobile from Ghostbusters. Nice, yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. So uh, do you guys have a car yet or a car in mind? Yeah, the car that he had in Atlanta, he's having it shipped up here, and we're going to use that. So we just need to do a little bit of work to it, that that, uh, Buick uh, LeSabre. Oh, so he's still got that LeSabre. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's awesome. uh, Yeah, so we have to do a few things to it to get it race ready, and it'll be great. What race will you be uh, competing in? Do you know? It's yeah. It's April fourth and fifth. It's at the Autobahn Raceway in Juliet. And oh my God, I I'll tell you here in a second what the name of it is. Um, and it, it has to do with prison. <laughs> it's like uh, on the run or something like that. Sure, right? Because it's it's near yeah. Juliet. Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh, so that's the theme there: the state penitentiary. Uh, mm-hmm. and this is a, uh, it's a lap race, right? So how, how many laps is this thing? Do you know yet? That, I'm actually not sure. Yeah. Well, you'll find uh, out how many laps. Yeah. I'll find out all the details. I mean, this just, this just literally, I, when I forwarded you that press release, it happened that day. <laughs> Do you when have he, a copy of that release? Me. You should read that. Yeah. Um, I can get it. That was really I funny. Get I get this email from. A forward from Motor Trend about this breaking news with the 24 hours of lemons. And I was like, huh. And you know what's funny? Because I think I think I glossed right over that because it was like, oh, yeah, 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 mail, mail, whatever. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. uh, your name's in the headline. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> what did you do <laughs> yeah i thought that was i thought that was pretty funny well that i i, I didn't expect that kind of e- that kind of an email um but yeah it was um it was something else and it was great yeah well th- that whole series is uh all in great humor um is that still the grassroots motorsports uh, a thing tie in there with Grassroots Motorsports Magazine. I think they're the ones that started that race. And I'm not. I'm not positive about that. I think so. And they you. used to cover it in their magazine, and then you know, they became online, and and uh, it just kind of got a life of its own from there. It's something I've always wanted to do, um, and I've heard. I'm a little bit out of the loop on these, but I've heard that they they fill up with registrants and 
you know, you can't really participate unless you get your stuff together um, and get involved early because they just have too many people that want to do it. Yeah, it's all over the country. Yep. I mean, the, the races tour everywhere. I mean, uh, in October, they're going to be in Texas, and then they'll slowly move their way up north as uh, as it gets closer to spring, um, which is why that the race in Juliet's going to be in April. And your buddy's driving? Yeah, yeah, my buddy Matty, he's driving. And so, is this, uh, uh, so the, the 24-hour concept, is that just the whole experience, or this is an actual 24-hour race? Don't think it's an actual twenty-four. Yeah, I don't think so. Either. Hour race. I think it's just like a full day of nonsense. Yeah. Well, it's it's a Saturday and a Sunday. Yeah. All right. Here we go. The subject: twenty-four hours of Le Mans uh, from Los Angeles, California. Today, Motor Trend reported that Michael Clark, against the advice of mental health professionals, <laughs> will compete in the twenty-four hours of Le Mans. The wheel-to-wheel car race for heaps that cost $500 or less. Um, Clark's team, the unpromisingly named Father Nelson Racing, (laughs) hit your local track (laughs) on April 4th and April 5th, 2020, where therapists and junkyard operators are already standing by. Nice. One relative, on condition of anonymity, described Clark's family as saddened and but unsurprised by the news. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, we've come to expect expect such lapses in judgment, the source told Motor Trend. Friends, co-workers, and relatives interested in staging an intervention and or watching Clark do something incredibly embarrassing can find more information on LeMond's race info page. Nice. Nice. And there we go. That's very cool that they did that. It, it really is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a neat deal. Uh, so we'll, I'll have to learn more about that. And, uh, of course, you got some time. But uh, best of luck to you and the rest of Father Nelson Racing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, the name of the race is um, Doing Time in Juliet. Nice. Yeah. It's very cool. That'll be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say that that's a bucket list item. I think that's on my April list. April 4th and 5th. Come on up. Yeah. I uh, will certainly look into that and see if the uh, see if the schedule allows, because that would be very cool. Put it on the calendar, and it's going to happen. That's right. I've learned that this year. That's Put it on the calendar, uh-huh. it'll happen. Yeah. I'll talk to Kelly. Right. That's how it'll happen. <laughs> 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 Kelly makes things happen. Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't picked that up by listening, <laughs> it's true. Oh my goodness! All right. Oh, well, wow. I think uh, I think it's about that time. I can I can hear the the bated breath of our of our handful of listeners that are uh, uh, still tuned in. And the, for that, we thank the, you. We do. We do. <laughs> I, I can hear their you know their crescent wrenches. Uh, you know, and screwdrivers banging on the table like knives and forks <laughs> at, a, at a hungry prison. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Saying, yeah, yeah. We want the answer. We want the we answer. We want the answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go then. The answers you shall have. All right, Kevin, I asked you in a nutshell, what makes candy paint candy paint? Right. And you said you start with a, starts with a gold or silver base. And you have a translucent color that is sprayed lightly over top. 
and as it's sprayed, it becomes darker and it gives it that really deep, lustrous look. And Kevin, that is absolutely correct. How about that? How about that? Right on. To no surprise to you, but uh, yes, that is uh, that is absolutely correct. It is uh, use a bit of silver or, or gold base, and use a the the my my uh, research said uh, uses um, a clear paint with translucent pigments, but it's the same same same. Yep. Um, yep. And pl- applied over a metallic base coat. Yeah. So. I'm impressed. Does, you, it, you, you ended up pulling off a theme for the episode with with paint. How about that? Right, <laughs> almost like I almost like a, I did a little show prep. I wasn't even aware. <laughs> <laughs> it just hit you now, right? Yeah, it just kind of did. It was like, hey, right on. Nice, nice work there. All right. Well, uh, on the flip side, the trivia question that I had asked you was. Um, when did the first commercial drag strip open in the United States, and where was it? And mm. your answer uh, was in 1948 in Los Angeles, California. Uh, after mm-hmm. after quickly uh, uh, saying 1950, and then you went to 48. Yes. And you should have stuck with your first answer. Really? Yes. <laughs> God the, dang it! The correct answer is uh, 1950. Son of a biscuit! You were you missed it by that much twice because it, it was actually in Orange County, not in Los Angeles. At, oh uh, wow, at man! Santa Ana, uh, which was an airstrip at the time, which eventually became the John Wayne Airport that we know today, or Orange County. Yeah. Airport. And what ended up happening is everything that you said, uh, the GIs came back from World War II, and a lot of them had new knowledge of how to make things run, and and the old jalopies were laying around from the 20s and 30s, and they would race these cars, Mm -hmm. and they needed a place to do it. So the the SCTA, Southern Cal Timing Association, um, started to kind of figure out a place, and they they found that they could use this this airstrip – on Sundays. So it was really opening on Sundays and it became the first commercial one because they, uh, they would charge people to, uh, to watch. And that's where they got the funding to, to help pay for this whole venture. Uh, but right I believe it, in the, in the early days, it was still a, a regular airfield during the week and it was just on Sundays. I gotcha. And they raced every Sunday except mother's day. Uh, oh, because nice. Mother's Day, they uh, they got in trouble if they raced on Mother's Day. And I guess today, you know, a lot of mothers race, but back then, maybe they would have if they had the chance. And maybe that uh, basically operated until about 1959. So, uh, and and right around then, 50, 51, I think, uh, uh, Wally Parks got the NHRA off the ground as right. part of a safety organization for drag racing, uh, created the Safety Safari and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, and today, the, the, the big trophy in the NHRA is named the Wally after him. Uh, but 1948 was not quite it. 1950. God, I can't believe it. But right there, oh, man. I mean, gosh. 1948, oh. of course, was the year Hot Rod Magazine came out, and it was a couple years after Well, that's the war. what I was thinking. Yeah. That's, wh- that's where my head was. Oh, see? Yeah. See, and- so, really, so really, I'm right. Really, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the very first <laughs> Hot Rod magazine uh, uh, had a, an image of Eddie Hulse in a in a in an open Lakester on the cover. You know, so the connotating oh, racing because yeah. they they would race at El Mirage and Muroc and all the dry lakes, but they would race uh-huh. side by side, heads up in quarter mile 
drag contests uh. like we have today, maybe not quarter mile, but I mean a, a drag drag race style with two cars taking right. off. And two cars heads up, yeah. But it was, you know, far less consistent to go all the way out to the dry lake beds and the condition of those and blah, blah, blah. So there you go. That's cool. SCTA, that's the group that heads up the uh, Bonneville racing, correct. correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They still yeah. do today. Right on. That's cool. Yep, sure is. All right. Well, missed it by that much, but we'll give it to you anyway. I yeah. Like that. Oh, yeah. Great. So for the <laughs> for the uh, the score tally committee, you know, you <laughs> that's listening and tallying. Throw, throw the, the kid a bone, will you? <laughs> right. You have to keep that under advisement. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, I can't believe I missed it by that much. Yeah, it happens. It does. No, what are you going to do? Happens to me. It's all, too. it's all in good fun. Right. All right, my man. Well, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate the time. You bet. Thank you. Uh, and uh, we appreciate everybody for listening. We get a lot of great feedback. We have a lot of great uh, um, commentary, and 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 we're accumulating some followers on some of the different uh, outlets where our show is carried. Uh, Pod Track, for example, we mentioned them last time. Uh, I'm sorry, Pod Chaser. Pod Chaser. Pod Chaser. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, they uh, we're still in number in the number two spot. Um, we're right behind a truck show of all things. Uh, yeah. But I think we can I think we can get there. We're ahead of a Formula One show and car talk. Oh yeah. We need your we need your reviews and your ratings on Podchaser, please. Yeah, there you go. Just click the click the stars. Hopefully high numbers of them. <laughs> yes. Yes. Not one stars. Right. Five stars. I think those count too though. So yeah, we'll take those. Right on. Yeah. And uh, you know, of course iTunes and Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio and iHeart Radio and VARadio.com and of course the Facebook page. Um, you know, by now, maybe maybe your listing experience, wherever you listen to this today, didn't satisfy you. So you could try one of those others. Maybe it'll be better. I don't know. It'll true. sound better on another platform. Yeah. Well, yeah. Can't get worse. <laughs> <laughs> can't it Kevin can't it <laughs> <Is that a challenge? laughs> alright until next time when we lower the bar <laughs> for Mr. Mike Hubal Clark I'm Kevin Oste reminding you to keep the shiny side up and we will see you next time on VA Radio <laughs> <laughs>